0: Welcome to the Pre-Vet Pausecast. I'm Alex Savellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Pausecast. I'm Alex Savellino. Quick reminder to our audience that in season three, we're practicing social distancing, so the audio might sound a little bit different. Today my guest is Dr. Chelsea Rivera, the Fort Sam Houston Veterinary Treatment Facility Officer in Charge. Chelsea, Mm -hmm. welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, audience, uh, Dr. Rivera is a Class of 2019 alum. So I watched her journey through veterinary school, and now she is a veterinarian in the military. And I'm so excited to have her because we get a lot of questions about what is it like to be a vet in the military, What is it like during vet school to know you're going in that direction? What are the scholarships like? So I'm really excited that Dr. Rivera can talk to us about that today. So my first question is, when did you know that you wanted to go into the military as a veterinarian?
1: Uh, So it was pretty much um, as soon as I heard about it while I was in um, undergrad and I was part of the Pre-Vet Club um, because one of our you know, pre-vet meetings that we had, um, we had a recruiter come and talk to us. And so, um, you know, those recruiters, a recruiter assignment is, you know, just like anything else, like they switch out all the time. So the recruiter that I talked to that night at pre-vet, you know, they were long gone by the time I decided I wanted to do it, but I still had the contact for um, the recruiter, the medical recruiter in Gainesville. And so, um, you know, I just, I hit them up as soon as I got in, or once I got my acceptance letter, because you can't actually apply for the scholarship until um, you, uh, get into vet school. Um, so that's when I started it, but you know, it took me a while to get into vet school. So I had that contact in the back of my mind for several years. So, so the recruiter came
0: and it was that talk that got you thinking, this is something I am interested in. What were some of the things that the recruiter said that made you think this is a good option for me?
1: Oh gosh, you're asking me to go back like (laughs) probably like seven years. Um, Let's see. I mean, I know like they just they talked about the scholarship, they talked about travel opportunities. Um, they talked about you know working with um, like military working dogs, and that like you know you're still pretty clinical for the most part while you're um, while you're in. And it's not like you know it's not like you're just doing military stuff all the time. Um, so you know it, it sounded like a fairly decent quality of life, and you know with along with the scholarship. It was great because they help you pay for med school. So it was kind of perfect.
0: Now, is there one scholarship? Is there one type of scholarship, or are there multiple scholarship opportunities? And do you know anything about how many students per year get them? I know we could Google this, but what do you know about it?
1: <laughs> so from what I know, and the last time that I looked at like the statistics um, as far as how many people get the scholarship, It's usually around like 30 or so a year. Okay, Uh, But it's, so it's called the Health Profession Scholarship Program or HPSP. Uh, At least that's the one that I did. Um, And there are, that's not just veterinarians, that's also like uh, dentists, nurses, med school, that type of thing. Uh, So in that entire applicant pool every year, like there's only about 30 or so vets that, veterinarians that get it. Okay. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of other health professions that apply for it and and get it too. Sure. Um, And as far as like the different types of scholarship, I do know um, there are other like ROTC scholarships, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't really know too much about that just because that's not really the route that I went.
0: Sure. Okay. So students listening, if this, if scholarships interest you and a military career interests you, which we'll dive deeper into what does that even look like, you should be looking up opportunities. So, Dr. Rivera, can do you know how much your scholarship was for? Uh,
1: so the the scholarship is for three years of tuition, and then they also, if you you know if you have the scholarship, it, um, it's it gives you like it changes every year just because of the you know typical cost of living and whatnot, but um, it's like a twenty two hundred dollar a month stipend. Well, that's like living and stuff too.
0: Sure. So you said you can't even apply for the scholarship until you get into vet school. Correct. Do you remember what the application process was like and why do you think you earned the scholarship?
1: Huh. Uh, the application process is very long because um, um, you have a background check too that goes along with it. So there is an application. Um, there are a couple letters of recommendation that you need for the application and then there was a type of letter um, It wasn't quite, it was, I think it was called like a letter of intent of like why you want to serve sort of, but not really, it wasn't necessarily like vet related, so to speak.
0: Mm -hmm. And so then they, they paid for three years of vet school. And so what did they get in return from you? What is the, I assume you're, you're giving time. What's that look like?
1: Right. So, um, the program is that you have to give one year of active duty service Uh, for every year that you receive the scholarship. So essentially, it's three years of active duty. However, um, your first year out, uh, they are making all of the veterinarians go through a program. Um, We call it FIGV for short, but it stands for uh, First Year Graduate Veterinary Education. So it's F-Y-G-V-E. Uh, and it's kind of like an internship that, like, you're learning how to be an Army veterinarian specifically. And that year actually doesn't count towards the time that you owe. So it's really four years, essentially, that you that you have to pay back. When
0: you say active duty, what does mm-hmm. that mean? What does it look like? What could it look like?
1: Well, so active duty is just, uh, it's really just the difference between you know, like how the army classifies you, like when you're active duty, basically your typical nine to five job day to day is something military related, like, you know, or army. But there's, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole lot of active duty people doing their job in the military. But then if you're reserves, then reserves is usually, um, you know, you have like a different non-military job, but you have an obligation. Um, You know, it's like one weekend a month, two weeks a year to, you know, go do military things, but then you go back to, like, your typical job.
0: Yeah. Did you have to go through boot camp?
1: Uh, no, not really. Um, it's, it is sort of a, it's, it's what they call basic officer leadership course. So there is a little bit of a physical aspect to it. Um, you know, we PT'd like every day, um, or, you know, physical training and, uh, there was a lot of classroom stuff to it too, But um, yeah, it's, it's not like your typical boot camp that you think of when, you know, you see the military movies and people are screaming in your face and stuff. Like, that's... Okay, yeah. so
0: you can't, like, do an inordinate amount of push-ups or anything?
1: Uh, me specifically? Or, like, you mean that they make you do?
0: I mean, I know you're pretty strong, because I know you, do, you know you do dance and everything, but, yeah. yeah, like, how many push-ups can you do?
1: Uh, so for my PT tests, um, I usually max them out at 50. Not...
0: Wow, yikes. So I know that I've had a lot of pre-vet students tell me that they were interested in going to the military, but their parents were worried that they were going to be on the front lines of duty. Can you speak to what does a veterinarian do in the military? What could that look like?
1: Uh, So it depends on the type of unit that you're with. Um, Because there are some units that are what they consider to be um, like an operational unit uh, where you kind of you do you do like your normal kind of day to day job and trainings and stuff, but then you can be uh, activated to go, um, or you can get deployed essentially. Um, so I'm I'm not in that type of unit. Uh, I am in essentially I'm I'm running a clinic um, in Texas, and so I'm basically not on the list to like get deployed. So that's just. That just is the characteristic of the type of unit that i'm with
0: did you get um, to that unit or did you get assigned
1: kind of both um, you can say that like i this is the one that i prefer um, doesn't mean you're going to get your preference never does it's always needs in the military um, but you know there is a need for veterinarians to run the clinics that are on bases and stuff and then you know of course there's also a need for um, veterinarians to be able to deploy if need be. So yes, we do get deployed. Um, we're not always necessarily on the front lines, but I mean, it absolutely is possible that, you know, you're in a, in a hostile area.
0: Now you're talking, you said, you know, the clinics on bases. So what kinds of animals are we finding on bases that you could potentially be working with?
1: Uh, I have only ever seen dogs and cats. Um, and they're, they're just, they're the animals of the people that, you know, have, uh, privileges at the clinic. So like active duty people, reservists, um, some of the people that just work on a base, some civilians that work there, they can, they can use our services. Um, so it's still like privately owned animals.
0: Uh, But then
1: we also, if there's like, you know, if there's a military police unit and they have dogs, we'll see those dogs. We'll see, um, you know, other government, agency, dogs sometimes. And then sometimes for training purposes, like, you know, we might do, some, some of the bases around have, um, have equines too. So actually um, where I'm at now has um, the, like the ceremonial horses and stuff that are in like funerals and whatnot. So I'm actually um, sort of in charge of their medical needs too. Um, that's not at every base though. It's actually pretty um, few and far between that we have the horses that do that.
0: So a potential military vet needs to be like versed in a mixed practice kind of situation where they can do a little bit of everything. I mean, it sounds really cool. I, you know, you were explaining to me before we started the podcast, I was asking what branches of the military can vets work in? And you mentioned that Army is the only one that has like the, the option to be a vet. Can you explain that, that situation?
1: Yeah. So as far as I know, um, if you are trying to be a, like a normal veterinarian, um, they're like pretty much army is the only branch that has a veterinary corps. And as such, we help out a lot of the other branches. Um, you know, if they have like food that we need to inspect or if they've got, um, you know, working dogs that need to be seen or whatever, then you know, we, there's also clinics on those types of bases too. So we go and work at you know, Air Force bases, Navy bases, Marine bases. So yes. your
0: route was, you learned about the Army scholarship, you got into vet school, you got the scholarship. What about for students who go to vet school, don't get the scholarship, and then graduate and want to go into the military? That's an option, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, there are certain incentives for those people that want to do that um it's a little bit different but you definitely get some money towards your student loans um and i mean you can even specialize and decide to go into the military you know you can you can do reserves that route you can do active duty that route um you know it's just a matter of getting with you know your local medical recruiters and and talking to them about their options but yeah that that is absolutely a thing you know you you don't have to get the scholarship to be, or, or, or have been in ROTC to, to join the Army.
0: So were you the only person in the class of 2019 with the scholarship? I was, yep. Were, and I feel like we have one or two students every, like, you know, when there's a four years going on, one or two mm-hmm. in a class, and you know, not in a class, but in the four years. Um, so that's a minority. You were the only one in the class of 2019. How many vets do you know who are doing what you do? Like, how does it feel to kind of be in a very small pool of this type of veterinarian? You know, 80% of our students go off to do small animal, not in the military. So what is that like?
1: Uh I'm not gonna lie, it's actually, it's kind of weird sometimes um, because I feel like since I'm not in the clinic all the time necessarily, or I, you know, I'm not working side by side with a vet that's been out for several years and I don't have that absolute direct mentorship that people would necessarily have in an internship or, um, you know, even just a private practice. Um, my clinical skills might not be as up to speed as some of my classmates after they've gotten out, um, just just because of the amount of caseload. Um, you know, they're obviously seeing a ton of appointments a day and. Um, you know, we're busy, but I just, I also have other things that, like, I need to do, like, I might need to go do a sanitation inspection on some, some place on base, and, and, like, there's other, there's a lot of other, like, admin type of duties that I have to do, because um, when you're, when you're in charge of a clinic, um, you're kind of, like, the practice manager at the same time, too, so um, I'm not in the clinic 24-7, and a lot of times, the clinics are actually pretty, um, low tech. not really quite the right word, but, um, we're, we're limited on what we can do just because of the equipment that we have um so some places don't even have like an x-ray table they have to like refer out essentially and some places can't do surgery and um it just it depends on their personnel it depends on um the equipment that they have so you know it's just it's kind of it's dependent on where you are
0: yeah.
1: um so that's kind of how it, i don't know, i feel I'm a little bit behind but at the same time like I'm getting a lot of other really cool experience so
0: Um, what are some of the normal cases you do see?
1: Uh, lots of just like wellness visits, um, with, you know, vaccines and stuff. Um, especially, especially with any of the pets that live on post, because you have to have your vaccines, um, for your animals when they live on post. So, um, we see a lot of wellness appointments. We see a lot of health certificates, um, lots and lots and lots of health certificates because people are moving all the time. Um, so, um, so we do a lot of that, uh, and still pretty much the same as most GPs, you know, a lot of skin stuff, um, you know, the occasional eye stuff. But especially in Southeast United States, definitely a lot of lot of skin.
0: You've been through military leadership trainings. Mm-hmm. Tell me now that you've been through a lot of these trainings, what are Like some big pieces of advice that you feel like pre-vet students could take away from military trainings? What are some things that are very relatable and transferable?
1: You have to learn to be able to take care of yourself um, because the military is going to pull you in a whole bunch of different directions and you need to do a lot of different things. Uh, You definitely need to be flexible uh, and in order to do all of that, you need to make sure that, you know, you're eating right, you're sleeping well, um, you know, you're taking care of your fitness, um, you know, some some way to de-stress, you absolutely need to be able to, to do that, whether you're military or civilian. Um, and just take care of the people around you. Um, some of the biggest things in uh, the military is like, as, as a leader, like you, you should be like, your top priority is taking care of the soldiers around you. Um, especially the lower enlisted, um, that, you know, you, you're the boss of, of those people. And, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be a very good time for the rest of people in your clinic. If, you know, it's all about me, 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 which I know getting into vet school, it kind of can be, um, and kind of going through vet school, even, you know, it's, it's, you know, my grades, my time, my, you know, whatever it's it's very self focused. Um, so the sooner you can learn to like take care of the people around you, um, you know. Of course, you still have to take care of yourself, um, but you know, look out for them and, and try to try to help when you can. Um, you know, I think it speaks volumes for for leaders that know how to do that.
0: Okay, let's play a little game called fill in the blank. I'm going yeah. to make a statement, and you fill it in. For prospective students. Prospective students should consider a career in the military if they love...
1: If they love serving people and animals just as much. Ooh, I love
0: that. I love that and I'd, I'd encourage all of you listening no matter what type of veterinarian you want to be, please want to serve people. Okay. Mm-hmm. Prospective students should consider a career in the military if they enjoy
1: if they enjoy working out. Ooh, do you work out every day? I am trying to run like three days a week, um, but like lifting has kind of fallen off a little bit just because gyms are icky <laughs> um, right now. Yeah. So, uh, Unfortunately, I'm not working out as much, but um, you know, physical fitness is definitely a huge part of military um, career. Or <laughs> sure. prospective
0: students should not consider a career in the military if they
1: only want to do clinical stuff ever, (laughs) like for the rest of their career.
0: Okay. So they need to be able to enjoy a variety of different opportunities. Absolutely. And those could be anything that's needed in a military base?
1: Um, I mean, not necessarily like military related, but just, you know, if people if people don't want to like do a lot of paperwork or they don't want to do like public health stuff, if they don't want to do, you know, if they just want to stay in the clinic and they, you know, they, they're not really interested in trying to like, you know, and they just want to do like medicine, medicine, medicine um, might not be the best option because like I said, uh, military pulls you in a lot of different directions. And so, you know, you, you're not always in the clinic. Like that's just a statement of fact. <laughs>
0: The one thing I would want prospective students to know about a veterinary career in the military is?
1: The quality of life is pretty great, not gonna lie. Um, we get a lot of four-day weekends. Uh, for the most part, it's pretty nine to five. Um, there's infrequently on-call, on um, and usually if you're on-call, you're only on-call for like the military working dogs um, and not privately owned animals. So it
0: took you a couple times to get into vet school. How many times?
1: Four total.
0: Four total. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for our listeners who are not in vet school yet? What
1: do you got? I have a couple pieces of advice. One, don't give up. If this is truly what you want to do, then do not give up. Keep improving yourself um, for each application. Uh, And like, don't let that discourage you because, you know, the more discouraged you get, the less likely you're going to try and improve yourself. Um, you know, so, so don't give up. Um, two, again, like I kind of just mentioned, constantly improve yourself, like get more experience, um, you know, if you need more experience or varied experience, like keep getting it, keep seeking out um, those people that will help you. Um, and then another one is definitely uh, form good relationships with people that might um, write you recommendation letters. Um, you know, you want people to get to know you, um, you want people to get to know your work ethic, uh, work really hard, um, at the clinics that you're trying to either work at or volunteer at or or anything like that, but just make sure that it is a veterinarian and make sure that, you know, you leave a good impression because those people, if you have a strong letter of recommendation or a couple from a couple of veterinarians, that's going to help you for sure. For Sure. Yes. Um, and then if people want to follow my Instagram, they absolutely can. If you want me to put that plug in here, but
0: yeah, go ahead. What's your Instagram so they can learn more about military life.
1: Uh, my Instagram is at that army vet chick. Well, Dr. Rivera, thank you for your service.
0: Protecting our country and our animals. And thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm really glad you got to explain to me and to our audience what it actually looks like to be a veterinarian in the military. I think a lot of students will be looking into those scholarships. We're going to have a major Google uptick today, I think. (laughs) I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.